In this series from Advanced Biblical Foundations, the Kingdom of God provides believers with an understanding on how to cooperate with God's kingdom while on earth. Welcome to our series on the Kingdom of God. This is uh, session eight, and we've been talking again. I do a little review each time because it's so important for us to recognize that Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven's at hand. We need to continually change the way we think to view the rule and reign of God is here now, not somewhere off in the future. Uh, we're called here, we talked about in the last session, the difference between the church and the kingdom or the relationship between the church and the kingdom. And it is that the church, God's called out ones by revelation of who He is are called and authorized to represent him and his kingdom here. Not talking about going to heaven, talking about representing him here on earth. Wow, that's a huge shift that God is trying to get us to understand that he's not trying to get us out of here, he's trying to get us to represent him. We're not powerless. We're not running around hiding from the devil. No, we've been empowered and authorized by God himself to represent him, and that's what Jesus was showing us. That's what he was telling us. That's what he's doing. So today, uh, in this session, I mean, I want us to go to uh, chapter 18. We've been just walking through the, uh, the gospel of Matthew, and I want to start. These are two extremely important principles I want to talk about today. Number one, in verse one, it says, at the time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, surely I say to you, unless you are converted and become little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Wow. Wow. You understand why we start, why he started saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Because everything in this world, the way we've been, way we've been raised and what we've been used to, the kingdom is opposite. It's just the opposite. Who's the greatest? Well, in this world, the one who achieves the most, the one who's the greatest, the one who's the most successful, the one who's got the most money, the one who achieves so much, that's the greatest. He goes, no, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring a little child. I'm going to set him right here. He goes, you got to become like this little child. That's the greatest. It's just like, oh, we don't think like that. But he, the key here is what he says. Whoever humbles himself, and that's the real key, humility. We're told that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If he resists the proud, I can just picture him as I did when, it probably wasn't very nice, but when my kids were little, you could just put your hand out and hold their head and they would just, they couldn't do anything. That's how I picture God's going, look, you, you want to walk in, in pride. You want to walk in that I'm self-sufficient. I've got it all together. He just resists you. But he gives grace, the empowering of his spirit and presence to those that humble themselves. Say, Lord, and that's what the, the whole Sermon on the Mount was about is a heart attitude. He's after a heart that's after him. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first 
him. That's really what he wants us to do. So if pride, if he resists the proud, well, we've got to really understand humility. The power of humility brings forth the kingdom of God. You want to walk in, you want to walk in the power of God and the power of the kingdom of God as he signs and wonders and miracles? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. That's what, he's, that's what we're told to do. He abides with those who have a humble and contrite spirit, it says in Isaiah, who literally tremble at his word. So it starts off here in this chapter by saying, okay, this is the key. You've got to understand that I will give grace to the humble. You want to be the greatest? You want to be used of me? Be humble. Uh, you, you, uh, another aspect of it, you got to be te- you're teachable. Um, you're you're in a you're in an accountable relationship. Uh, you don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's just making sure that you prefer others. And you understand Jesus humbled himself and took on man flesh. Literally, it says in Philippians two, and then he humbled himself even further by going to the cross and dying as a as a a thief or a murderer, which he obviously was not. That's what he modeled for us. Now, verse 6 says, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were tied around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to the man to whom offenses come. Another place in, uh, in Matthew, he tells us that offenses must come. That was in Matthew chapter 11. And he said, that they, why, why, why offenses must come? Well, clearly he tells us that if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. When we stand and say, I'm a child of God, I represent the king, and he is the only way to the Father through the Son, uh, that's not a lot of grace. There's not a lot of gray area in there. It's pretty, pretty direct. People don't like that. And uh, there's going to be persecution. Offenses are going to come, but we're not supposed to be causing offenses. The other thing, think about this. Jesus tells us in John 13, he says, a new commandment I give to you is that you would love one another as I have loved you. By this love, you so prove and demonstrate that you're my disciples. And so he's saying, look, a new commandment. Remember they asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, well, it's love the Lord with all of your heart mind, soul, and strength. And the second one is like it, that you would love your neighbor as yourself. He basically summed up the entire Ten Commandments into two commandments. Well, Jesus then comes along and says, hey, I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to bring it down to one. I want you to love one another the way I loved you. How did Jesus love us? Well, first thing is he forgave us. Same thing, he went and gave his life. That's really what he's called us to do. You want to further the kingdom of God and humble yourself, then this is how we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love one another. We're not supposed to cause offenses, though their offenses are going to come. You're going to be offended. Why? Because how else could we ever really love like Jesus if there's never a problem or we're never offended where we get the opportunity to love? Now, you can read the rest of this. It's very, very important what he's sharing here, and there's some kingdom principles here. But in the time remaining, I want us to look at beginning in verse 21. 
Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Seven times? Now, again, that's a very interesting comment because probably in that day and time, it was sort of a known thing that, you know, forgive somebody three times and maybe a fourth if you're really going to be gracious. So Peter's probably saying, hey, I'm going to go the extra deal. Seven times, seven times. Again, we're talking in the context of offenses and being offended by a brother or someone who is sinning. The church has got the, we're, the church represents how do we handle these offenses and how do we handle these things. So this is the context that, that's being spoken here. How many times? Seven? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, I, I can't imagine. This is it's so, so Jesus. You know, what he shares and how he shares is so far, far above and beyond the realm of, of our thinking. I mean, Peter's going, do I have to forget? If, they, if he sins against me seven times, do I forgive him seven times in a day? He says, no, I'm saying 70 times seven. I'm sure Peter's going, you've got to be kidding me. 490 times? Um, and again, Jesus is not talking about let's count up the times and let's do that. He's making a, a major statement that, look, I've called you to forgive and to express my love. That's what I've called you to do. It's not something that you, uh, a number, it's not something you hold on to. So then verse 23 says, therefore, again, he's clearly tying what he's getting ready to share into the preceding passages. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle the accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, remember what we talked about when we talked about parables. Jesus telling these stories, and he's, he is trying to emphasize something here. So he makes it, wow, out there. Now, in that day and time, 10,000 talents was this unbelievable, huge amount of debt. The truth of the matter is, no one would have that kind of debt. So, I mean, he, he takes it way out there beyond. It would be today, in, in dollars and cents, it would be multiple millions of dollars that someone would owe someone in debt. And it says that he was unable to pay. But when his master commanded that he be sold and his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment should be made. Verse 26, the servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Is that so typical of all of us? When we're caught, we really want to, we want to pay. You know, he's going to, you just, I just told you you couldn't pay. I mean, you had a debt, there's no possible way you could pay, but we think we can. We think we can, we can make everything right. So he fell down and he said, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Verse 27, the master of the servant was moved with compassion. He released him and forgave him the debt. Isn't that amazing? Amazing story. But then that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. Again, Jesus is making it real clear. This man owed this mount that was so huge, it was beyond comprehension. I mean, way, way, way beyond anything that they could even imagine. 
And he goes out and he finds somebody owes him a little tiny amount, maybe a week's wages. So compared to what he was been forgiven, it was just, it was, it was nothing. And this fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Hmm, I already heard that. I think that's what the, the first servant asked the master. But he would not. But he went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? The master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also will do to each of you is from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Wow. This is so strong. Now remember, Jesus already told us in the Lord's Prayer to forgive our debtors as we forgive those who have debts against us. And he said, then he does a little addition there in verse 14 and 15. If you don't forgive them, you won't be forgiven. So when we think about the kingdom, again, what we started, who's the greatest in the kingdom? One who humbles himself as a little child. This humility is carried on through understanding that you're going to be offended. Offenses must come. It's not that they will come, they must come. Because how else can you be conformed to the image of Christ? The more that we look like Christ, the more we can act like Christ. The more that we allow that word to work in our lives, the more that we're able to express his kingdom on earth. That's what he's after. He's after us representing him. And the only way to really represent him is that we have to look like him. So what do we do? We do what he did. So the whole story here is about the power of forgiveness. Now, as I started this in the, the first few verses of A.J.M. talk about the power of humility. What well, takes humility to forgive? You have to humble yourself. You have to let go of your rights and you have to choose to forgive. It's a choice. It's not a feeling. I don't, you don't ever feel like forgiving. You feel like killing somebody when they offend you. No, you don't, you don't feel. You, you make a choice to obey the word. Now, this passage is really profound. And he said, look, I forgave you, therefore you should have forgiven your fellow servant. He says, the master was angry and delivered him over the torturers. Now, some of the translations will actually use the word tormentors. Uh, do you realize that when you don't forgive that you're tormented? Do you realize that when you hold unforgiveness, the, when you hold unforgiveness, you are continually attached to the offense. You're attached to the person and it will eat you alive. That's what the tormentors, the torturers do. The enemy just continually harasses you. The reality is, is that for unforgiveness opens the door to demonic spirits. You want to have some demonic activity, have a bunch of unforgiveness. And what will happen is, is that what that torment, it keeps it running all the time in your mind. I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they hurt me. I can't believe they said what they said. 
And that is harassment that's continually, what does it do? It keeps you from advancing the kingdom of God. It keeps you on the sideline. It keeps you bound up. It keeps you in constant pain. And that's really what he's saying here. Look, I'm going to turn you over to the tormentors. And he says, look, so will their heavenly father do to you if each from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespass. See, we, a lot of times, even in the church, we know I'm supposed to forgive somebody. I forgive them. But I'm not really forgiving them from my heart. God is wanting us not only to... So the, here's the pattern. What did the master do? First, he had compassion. So he wants us to have compassion. What is that? Love. He wants us to love the way he loved us. Why? Because he forgave us a debt that we couldn't pay. So the so big picture. Jesus is saying here, look, I forgave you a debt you couldn't pay. You, you, no matter what you tried to do, remember he said, I'll pay you all. Give me some time. That's what we try to say. I said, no, it's impossible for you to pay the debt that you owed me. So I came and forgave you because of my great love for you. I have forgiven you and released you and forgiven you. That amazing? Completely. If you're a child of God, you've been completely forgiven. You've been released from any expectation from God that you could do something for him to pay for what he paid for you. That's amazing. It's amazing love. He said, okay, now based upon that, I want you to go out and forgive everybody who's offended you. And do you realize the problem is that, remember, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I think that the offense of what somebody did to me is the greatest offense. And I don't, I've got it reversed. The, the, my little offense to God, oh, it's no big deal. I didn't really do all that bad. I haven't really been all that bad a person. It, it wasn't that big a deal. But what that person did to me, oh my gosh, I, I just, mm, mm, that's huge. You got to repent because it's the debt you owed to God that you couldn't pay. That's the real offense. And what people do to you, I realize there's some horrible things that people do. But in comparison to what Jesus forgave us, it's a little bitty debt. And he's saying, you got to forgive. you got to release them. you got to bless them. you got to express my love. Now, how can we do that? Because he forgave us. See, once you understand that the forgiver lives in you, you can forgive. It's a choice. You don't, it's not a feeling. You don't feel like it. It's a choice. You, you say, look, Lord, I choose to forgive. And so this is a huge, this chapter, you want to have life in the kingdom? This is how you do it. Humble yourself and become like a little child. Humble yourself. And, and, and it's going to take humility to recognize the debt that you've been forgiven so that then you can forgive those who've hurt you. I know this is this why I'm saying, that's why Jesus started with saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You have to change the way you think because everything in the kingdom is upside down from the way we've been raised in this world. Striving to be somebody, holding unforgivenesses, grunges, oh, we're going to get even kind of deal. Mm -mm, not in the kingdom. Totally opposite. And so what he's saying here is it's time for us to, to recognize offenses, they're going to come. 
Because until you can really forgive the way I forgave, remember Jesus on the cross, he's that forgiven, Father, for they don't know what they do. In Acts, Stephen is being stoned. He said, Father, forgive them. Wow, that's what he's called us to do, is to forgive, to release love, because love never fails. And God is love. He wants us to learn how to express love and to release love that releases his kingdom. And so we want to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We get the opportunity to all the time forgive and release people. Now, the bottom line is, I want to pray a couple of things here as we close. Number one, I want to pray that God would help us to think differently about forgiveness and understand how much we've been forgiven, to get a revelation of that. I want us to pray, number, number two, you realize that you have to forgive yourself. You know, no matter what's gone on, no matter what's happened, no matter what you've done, you have to forgive yourself. You can't hold unforgiveness towards yourself. Here's another one. You've got to forgive God. Some of you have lost loved ones and marriages have been broken and, and um, people have been sick and died. And, you know, we have a tendency, now we don't really say it out loud that we really are angry with God. But a lot of times we are. We hold God accountable. When he's given us the authority to represent him, he came and lived his life and died for us. Uh, he's not the one causing us problems. Sin and everything that the enemy is bringing. But the devil loves to blame God. Well, if only you'd been here. That's what Martha told Jesus. Um, my brother wouldn't have died if you'd been here. Blaming Jesus. He goes, hey, he will live she goes, I know, he'll live in the resurrection. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. That's what Jesus is trying to get us to understand is that, look, we got to quit looking just in this realm. So we got to release Jesus and make sure forgive God. You've really got to forgive all those who've hurt you and wounded you and offended you. Because again, if you don't forgive them, you're continually attached to them and the pain. If you got a lot of pain, this is how you get rid of pain. You bless them. It, it's not an easy deal. It's not a one-time prayer. You do, do it seven times? Peter says, no, Jesus said 490 times, times seven, 490 times, 70 times seven. Why? You've got to really pray for them and bless them until you get free, until you really get free to where you're not hurt or wounded or when you see them, you, you dodge them or avoid them or you, you're you flinch when you even think somebody mentions someone's name. And you've got to forgive even institutions. Uh, you've got to forgive if you've been hurt in church. You've got to forgive if you've been hurt by the government or police or whatever. But you've got to forgive them. So I want to pray. And, and I just ask you to join in me, join with me in prayer. Really ask the Lord to really help you understand the power of forgiveness. Father, we love you and we bless you and we thank you that you forgave us this major debt that we could not pay. You said by grace we've been saved. It's not by our works. And so, Lord, we're so grateful and thankful that you have loved us and given to us everything that we need. Help us to understand that the debt that we've been forgiven is this huge debt. And those who have offended us and hurt us, it's really a small debt. Help us to, to literally repent and change the way we think so that, Lord, we're not stuck in this offensive, unforgiving cycle. For we want to be free. 
If you want to be free, ask him right now. Lord, I want to be free. Well, he tells us how to be free. Humble yourself and say, Lord, I need your presence and power. And I want to obey your word by forgiving. Forgive yourself. I forgive myself, Lord, for the things I've done and the people I've offended. I don't want to be one of those offenses. So forgive me for the things I've done that caused to be a stumbling block. And Lord, it says, if I ask for forgiveness, you grant it freely. And I choose to release you, Father, when I blamed you for things that didn't go right and things didn't happen the way I wanted to, I blamed you. Loss of a loved one or a business or a marriage or, or whatever. The devil is the accuser of the brethren. He accuses and he accuses really tells us that you don't care. So Lord, forgive us for holding you at arm's length because we are offended. We're upset because you didn't come through. You didn't answer our prayer the way we wanted it answered. So, Lord, we choose to release and forgive. And, Lord, we choose to release those who have hurt us and wounded us. So whoever, right now, in the name of Jesus, bring to mind those that we need to forgive and release. I pray, Lord, that you would grant us that heart of compassion, be filled with love, and that, Lord, we would extend that freedom and release and total forgiveness to those who have offended us and those who have hurt us and those who have wounded us. And Lord, we choose to bless and not curse. And we choose to pray for them. And I pray, Lord, you'd help us to really get free so that, Lord, we have forgiven from our heart. And I pray, Lord, that we forgive a church or a pastor or, or a, a business or some boss we forgive our government. We forgive people and institutions who we thought should have treated us a different way. The so Lord, I pray that you'd help us to understand the power of forgiveness. Help us to understand and in looking from, the, from your perspective at how much we've been forgiven. The more we understand how much we've been forgiven, the easier it is for us to forgive. So Lord, we love you. We Thank you for your amazing grace. I pray for everyone that's here and listening that, Lord, you would help us to really understand the power of forgiveness. The power of love, because love never fails. Lord, we love you, we bless you, and we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We hope you enjoyed this timely message. Pastor Terry and Susan Moore had a life-changing encounter with the Lord in August of 1982. They opened their home to build a Bible study, which turned into Sojourn Church, now located in Carrollton, Texas. They've never been the same and hope you connect with Christ in the same way. For more, connect to advancedbiblicalfoundations.org.